We are in Nehemiah this morning and uh, Nehemiah chapter 11. David's just done a couple of weeks on uh, chapter 10 and we're, we're coming towards the end of our, of our series on Nehemiah through this autumn, a couple more chapters and then we'll be, uh, we'll be going into Advent and, uh, and focusing in on Christmas as we come into uh, December. Nehemiah 11 is one of these funny chapters again. It's a list of names, um, and you don't often see these chapters preached on. Um, Dave, whenever Dave gets up to speak, always kind of says that I give him the hard chapters um, and then save the easy ones for myself. But somehow I've gone wrong this time, and um, I meant to give this one to Dave, and I didn't. Um, so I'm just going to read the first few verses. Um, and then I'm, I'm not going to read the whole list of names, um, which also the signers are going to be very grateful for as well, they said. Um, so, chapter 11 of Nehemiah. Now, the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring, out, uh, bring one out of every ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns, the people commended all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. These are the provincial leaders who settled in Jerusalem. Now some Israelites, priests, Levites, temple servants, and descendants of Solomon's servants lived in the towns of Judah, each on his own property in the various towns, while other people from both Judah and Benjamin lived in Jerusalem. And then we have a list of the different people that came and lived in Jerusalem and served in various ways. And we'll have a look at some of those as we move through that this morning. Have you ever walked through a graveyard and read the epitaphs on the stones, on the granite slabs, and wondered about the people inscribed on those granite tablets? I have. I've, I've wandered through graveyards. I've read those names, and I've wondered about their story, who they are, and how they live their life and what they represented. Or have you ever wandered around an old house and thought about those who've gone before as you can see all around you echoes of the past? Uh, maybe an old National Trust property or an old house. You, you wonder about the stories of generations gone by. Or have you ever stood in a remembrance service in silence pondering the words of we will remember them and thinking back to those who've given their life for our freedom and many of them are unknown to us. We don't know them. We don't know those that have gone before us. At the west end of the nave of Westminster Abbey is the grave of the unknown warrior whose body was brought from France to be buried there in November 1920, 11th of November 1920. And on it, on that grave of the unknown warrior in Westminster Abbey is the inscription, beneath this stone rests the body of a British warrior, unknown by name or rank, brought from France to lie among the most illustrious of the land and buried here on Armistice Day. Armistice Day, 11th of November 1920, in the presence of His Majesty King George V, his ministers of state, the chiefs of his forces, and a vast concourse of the nation. Thus are commemorated the many 
multitudes who during the great war of 1914 to 18 gave the most that man can give life itself for God, for king and country, for loved ones, home and empire, for the sacred cause of justice and the freedom of the world. They buried him among the kings because he had done good towards God and toward his house. The, the grave of the unknown warrior. We don't know who he is, but we remember him and all those like him. I want to talk today from Nehemiah chapter 11 about the willing unknowns that we find in chapter 11. It's a phrase that I found coined by Charles Swindle in his book, Hand Me Another Brick, the willing unknowns. And that is what we have in Nehemiah chapter 11. How many of you know and have meditated on the great exploits of Athiah, son of Uzziah? Or how many of you have meditated early in the morning on Salu, son of Mashulam? Or Jediah, the son of Joyarib? You're not going to find their names on devotional calendars this Christmas time, is my bet. Nehemiah 11 goes to the trouble of writing up their names, lists and lists of names of the willing unknowns. Line after line, household after household, preserved in this book for all perpetuity, the willing unknowns. God's holy city, we read, was built by these people. And after the hard work and the opposition and the rebuilding and the feasting and the fasting that we've been reading about these Sunday mornings, the great celebrations, the Feast of Booths and Tabernacles, the revival that happened around the Word of God as Ezra and Nehemiah and the priests stood up and brought out the Book of God and the people wept at hearing again these ancient words, these ancient truths, and, and then they were filled with joy, and Nehemiah said, come on, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The people was revived, a, a city was rebuilt. But there's still much to be done, and there's still an issue here, as we read about in Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 4, where we, we read the, the words, now the city was large and, and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. And at the start of this chapter 11, we have the problem again addressed. Now, the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every 10 of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commended all those that volunteered to live in Jerusalem. The leaders lived in Jerusalem. They had to. It was part of their job description. Many of them were, had prominent positions. Their names are well known to us and have stood the test of time. As Charles Swindle writes in that little book, he says, there are two dangers that lurk in the shadows of leadership. One is the reluctance on the part of the leader to become virtually unknown forgotten and overlooked in the accomplishment of the objective. The second great danger for leaders is the negligence of strong natural leaders who fail to recognize others who really deserve much of the credit. 
And he goes on to say, Charles Swindle, it is a beautiful thing to stumble across a few outstanding people in life who don't have to be superstars. They willingly remain unknown and authentic servants. Now, in addition to the leaders in Jerusalem, are those who've been drafted to live in Jerusalem by this casting of lots, one in every ten casting of lots to come and live and build a city and build a kingdom again. And then there are those who are mentioned in verse 2. They are the willing volunteers. And some commentators say it's the same group of people. Some say it's two different people. Those that are, if you like, drafted. And those that say, will come as well. Like in the war, those that were drafted and those that volunteered. Whether it's two groups or whether it's the same group, people differ on their interpretation of those verses. But in verse 2, I think we have the willing volunteers whom the people commend, we read, at their volunteering. So those that are drafted and those that volunteer, those that come willingly, they volunteered. The Hebrew means that they are, are impelled or incited from within. There's an inner motivation from them to come to Jerusalem and to serve God's people and to serve his kingdom. To use a different vernacular, they are, they are up for it. They are up for it. And they say, we're in, we're, we're coming, we're going to help rebuild this city. And here are the willing unknowns. The drafts and the volunteers are willing to be used by God, probably at some inconvenience to themselves to help to rebuild and populate the city of God. In, in Nehemiah chapter 11, we find five different groups of these kind of people that have said, we, we're in, we're going to help rebuild this city. We're going we're to come, we're going to be part of this story. The first group is those that we've mentioned, those that willingly moved into the city, those that are commended by the people. The people blessed all those who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Sometimes God <coughs> may call us to move physically to serve his purposes. There are many numerous examples of this throughout history of people that were called, and up to the present day that some may have felt called to be missionaries and to go and live in a different city or in a different place. Sometimes we've got, within this country, we've got urban missionaries. We've got people that will physically move house, move into an area, move into a housing estate, move into a conurbation so that they can build church, so that they can plant church. When they feel called by God to do that, there are those who feel sent as missionaries to different countries even and to different cultures. For some it may mean switching jobs or it may mean that we switch our focus because we feel God telling us to do that or we feel the call of God to do something else or to go somewhere else. And then, well, earlier in my life, I, I felt I felt uh, that God spoke to me in a significant way through, through Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, in a, in, a, in a verse that God spoke to Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you and I will be with you. I will help you. I will go ahead of you. And for me in my earlier years, that was a key verse where I felt God speak to me, to up sticks and to move and to go even to another country. I remember feeling 
God speak to me on a numerous occasions of specifically upping and moving and leaving and going. And this week I was listening to uh, Louis Giglio and, and a devotional uh, that he was sharing from Isaiah 6 and one of his life verses, which was, uh, here am I, Lord, send me. I, here am I, send me. And, and sometimes God, God does that. It may be that God will ask some of us, to move, to, to take on fresh challenges. It may be, and we have prayed for this in the past as well, that God will call people here to Plymouth. And maybe you're new here this morning. Maybe you've just moved to the city. And maybe that's within God's remit for this part of your life. And it's no accident that you're here. You've literally moved the length of the country or, or come from a different place. And, and we actively pray as well at times that God will bring people here to this city for this time that God will draw people in. So that's the first group of people that we see, the willing unknowns, this group of people that are willing to up sticks from the suburbs and move into Jerusalem so they can rebuild the city. And the second group are those that are called to work specifically in the, in the temple. We read in uh, chapter 11, verses 10 to 12, those who are called specifically to work in the temple, from the priests, Jediah, son of Joyarib, uh, Jachin, and Sariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Meshullam, son of Zadok, son of Merioth, son of Athitub, the supervisor of the temple of God. Also, 822 of their associates who worked at the temple. There were 822 people who willingly worked in the temple, this group faithfully supported the work of God with their time and their talents, specifically in that area. They were the priests and their associates. Now, we are all called to be God's priests and ministers. We read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You are a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. You are a nation of priests. You are a holy people, a people belonging to God. And why? So that you can show other people the goodness of God. So that you can show other people the kingdom of God. You are those priests. You are God's possession. And this is a team ministry. As you walked into church this morning, you walked over a pavement that had been swept and cleaned by somebody. And then you walk through glass doors that somebody else took time to clean this week before you were greeted by members of our welcome team who turned up early to make sure that they were ready to greet you. And you walked into a heated building and you sat down in seats that someone else had put out for you. And then you were led in worship by volunteer worship leaders who rehearsed in the week. I heard them while I was walking my dog. And, I, and they turned up early to prepare, and they were assisted by technical teams who prepared all the equipment and came early. They were ready to help with the sound and the lighting and the vision and the recording so that some of you can watch at home on a live stream of this service. And your children this morning and your young people 
are being served and looked after and taught by a largely volunteer group of people, some of whom have served behind the scenes like this for many years. Many of you don't even know their names. And after the service today, some of you may be staying for a connect lunch, which another team has prepared for you and will serve you with, and someone else will wash up after. And after you've left, someone else will clean up and clean the toilets and lock up the building. And tonight, different teams, and sometimes the same people, will open up and do it all again, serving coffee and tea and welcoming people and creating an opportunity for individuals to encounter and experience and know the goodness of God. And that's just a Sunday. There's so much more that goes on pretty much every day of the week in this building. Week after week, so many areas of ministry and service and efforts to reach those that don't know Jesus and to serve those that do. And much of this ministry is carried out by the devotion of the nameless, the willing unknowns, out of sight, at least out of human sight. And the challenge that some of our teams are experiencing at this moment post-pandemic is that some of these teams are depleted. Some of our children's and youth teams, the teams have gone smaller. Some people have left. Some people have not returned yet. Some people have decided they want to move on or move on in different ministries. Some are stretched and some are putting in extra shifts and are tired. And I would say if we are to build a holy city, if we are to be a city on a hill where the light of the gospel shines, if we are to fulfill our vision to love people and to serve people and to help them to become followers of Jesus Christ, we need to draft people and we need to call people who are willing volunteers and will say, here am I, send me. I don't need my name to be known. I don't need my ministry to be seen. But I will be one of the willing unknowns. And some of you are new to Plymouth Christian Center. As Paul said this morning, we look out, we don't necessarily know your name. And some of you don't know many people, but, and you're just feeling your way. And some of you have got used to watching on the telly with coffee and pajamas. It's easier that way. It was easier for some of these compatriots of Nehemiah to stay in the suburbs, the comfort of their village homes. Yet some of them said, we're in. We're going to help rebuild the city of Jerusalem, the holy city. We are in. Count us in. We will volunteer. We will serve. We will live. We will move. We will do whatever it takes to rebuild this city. We are in. We are the willing unknowns. We are in. Count us in. Here am I. Send me. The third group of people that we read about in chapter 11 are the Levites and the leaders of the Levites who were in charge of the work outside of the house of God. 11 verses 15, 16 from the Levite Shemaiah, son of Hashub, son of Azikam, son of Hashabiah, son of Bunny, that's a good name. Also, Shabbatai, and I can't read this without my glasses. Josabad, who were in charge of the work outside of the temple of God. 
And these were people who judged and handled civil affairs, not to do with the temple, but they were busy outside dealing with civil affairs, law, legal affairs. They counseled people. They ministered to the public away from the place of worship. And you probably cannot remember one of their names. Again, to quote Charles Swindle, not a business today could exist for long without those extra effort nobodies who diligently labor away from the limelight. There are so many of us in, in this category who do not stand on a platform, whose name is not known, and uh, who labor away, whether in the building or in our marketplace ministries, away from the temple where we are called in the name of Jesus Christ to serve him and to serve his purposes. I was talking to someone before the service this morning who said they are probably now the only Christian in the business. <laughs> and and they, are, they are called to that. They are salt and light in that place. That's their marketplace ministry. And there was a group here that ministered away from the house of God, the willing unknowns. And many of us are in that category in our day-to-day work in our schools and in our, in our factories and in our offices and those of us who work at home and those of us who are raising families. Whatever we're doing, we're to do it to the, to the glory of God and, and God has placed you in that place right now, serving God in the marketplace, not a platformed leader, but a minister and a priest and a chosen one who has been assigned to bring light into darkness and to carry the scent of Jesus Christ wherever you go. And the fourth group of people that we find in chapter 11 of Nehemiah are the prayers. It's the fourth group of willing unknowns, and it's revealed in verse 17. Also, Mataniah. How many of you have heard of Mataniah? No one. Son of Micah. Son of, hang on a minute. <laughs> Zabdi, a descendant of Asaph who led in thanksgiving and prayer. He was a leader in thanksgiving and prayer. He was a prayer leader. Mataniah, you've never heard of him. Mataniah was a leader on his knees. He probably couldn't preach his way out of a paper bag, but he could pray. And he led the people in prayer and thanksgiving. And some of the greatest unsung heroes of the church are the kneeling saints. And some of you faithfully sit and kneel in the background and you pray. Recently, during a particularly trying time, someone in our church took the time to pray every day for us in leadership and sent us their prayers every night on email. And I would wake up in the early hours of the morning and I would open my iPad and there was the prayer for the day. (laughs) Blessed my socks off. Really specific prayer for the church leaders. I know that over recent months, some have been praying regularly and fervently and out of the limelight. Mataniah was a leader like this. He hasn't made it onto any inspirational devotional calendars, but he made a massive difference in the rebuilding of a holy city. And you can too. There are those that come here on a Wednesday morning for our prayer center and they're doing a great job and it's great to come in on a Wednesday and, and the sense of God's presence, and to worship, and to pray together. There are those that are praying every Wednesday morning on Zoom at 7 o'clock 
faithfully have been doing for years. There are others of you who pray regularly. There are those who have prayer lists. There are those, and God sees that. Other people may not see it, but God sees it. Jesus said, when you pray, you go into your father's house, into your house and close the door, and your father sees and hears, he, he hears you. He hears your prayers. He knows what you're praying, and, and it makes a massive difference. You are one of the willing unknowns. And the fifth group of people that are, we find in, in Nehemiah chapter 11, uh, we come to Uzzi. Some great names in this chapter. 11 verse 22, the chief officer of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzzi, son of Bani, son of Hashabiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micah, a descendant of Asaph, whose family served as singers at God's temple. These people, Uzzi and his group, they were the singers, they were the worship leaders. These people willingly sang for the glory of God. They were the ministers of music. I loved it this morning as we sang, Oh, Happy Day. We saw these, this, this lot getting their funk on. But I was watching out the corner of my eye. I was watching Dave and Val over here. They were, you should have seen their moves. I mean, they were, talk about dad dancing. Getting into it, singing Happy Day. I, I love watching them, and then I love watching the kids, and I love the fact that we're a multi-generational church, and whether you're five years old or slightly older than five, that we can worship God together as we're facilitated and helped by those that lead us in singing and worship, and with skillful, aren't we grateful for our skillful musicians? And oh, I am. We've got such a fantastic set of skillful musicians and, and singers and those that serve us in, in that way. And Isaiah was one of those as we worship God together and, and plays a vital role in the building of the city of God, a city on a hill. And these people were the willing unknowns. And so these are they, these five groups of people that if you read through chapter 11, if you wade through all those names, you will find the people who willingly moved to the city of Jerusalem for this season. You'll find those that were willingly working in the temple. You'll find those that willingly worked outside the temple, in related areas, in the marketplace. You'll find those that willingly prayed behind the scenes and those that led and sang in the services of God. And you haven't heard of any of them. But they were helping to build a holy city, a place where God dwells. So for us today, we must remember your gifts make you valuable, though they may not necessarily make you famous. If you are gifted in an area, and you are, we're all gifted in an area. We've all been given gifts by the grace of God. It may be that your area will never reach the spotlight if you labor in the shadows, if no one sees what you do but you labor long and hard and diligently, don't worry about it. Because you are as valuable as Mataniah and Uzzi. And you'll be just about as well known as they are. But you're not anonymous to God. And secondly, remember that every labor that is done in love is remembered by God. We read that in 1 Corinthians 15, 58... 
always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing that you ever do for the Lord is useless. It's never in vain, ever. In fact, Jesus said, look, if you give a glass of water to someone in my name, then you're doing it for me. (laughs) Whatever you do in my name, if you do it to the glory of God, you're doing it for me. And it's got eternal value, eternal value. And the third thing that you need to remember this morning is you may be one of the many willing unknowns is that our ultimate reward will be determined on the base of our faithfulness, not on public applause. God does not use applause meters. God knows and God sees. There's a graveyard in Ainsworth where I grew up, the village in Lancashire. And whenever I go home, I try and walk around the village with my family, with my sister, my brother, And invariably, we end up going back to this little graveyard in Ainsworth Methodist Church. And I've got pictures on my phone of the various graves of people there. And there is the grave of Greg Hawkins. Greg Hawkins was my Sunday school teacher when I was 11 years old and younger. Greg Hawkins gave me my first inscribed Bible when I was baptized. I still have it at home on my shelf. And he wrote in it, and he wrote a verse from Timothy, and he gave me that Bible. It's a, it's a brown, <laughs> revised standard version Bible that I've had since I was 11 years old. And there lies Greg Hawkins' grave, and nobody knows, or very few people know Greg Hawkins. But he made a real difference in my life. And then next to Greg's grave, and I don't know why they all were buried in Ainsworth Methodist Church, but lies Miriam Atkinson, and next to her lies Jeff Atkinson. They were elders in our church growing up. And none of these, believe me, none of these were perfect people, but they had great influence in many people's lives. And there, as I look at their graves, I think nobody knows Jeff and Miriam Atkinson, but There they lie, and they've made a great difference. And then there's Edwin Matthews. His grave is there too. My aunt's grave is there, and many different ones. And we go and we look and we remember. There are those that have gone before, and there are many of them. They They are willing unknowns, but God has used them as these holy stones to build a temple, a dwelling place where he lives. We serve and minister on their shoulders, many of them, and in their footsteps. And as Steve Green sang, may all those who come behind us find us faithful. (laughs) We have a holy city to build. We have a city on a hill. We have a people to love and to serve in this great city of Plymouth and beyond. And we are all called. And I wonder how many of us can say, with Elijah and with with Isaiah and with um, Louis Giglow, here am I, (laughs) Lord, send me. You know, there's another book, not Nehemiah, and with all these names, there is a book, and it's called The Lamb's Book of Life. And in that book is going to be a list of names. And every name that's in it will be welcomed into heaven and into the presence of God, and Jesus will say, come in, And welcome, you good and faithful servant, enter into the place of rest. 
And we want our names to be in there. And if we are followers of Christ, our names are written in that book. And we want many other names to be written in that book. And we want to help people get in there so that they can be welcomed into God's kingdom. There was one other person that was a willing unknown, and his name was Jesus. And we read in Isaiah chapter 53 that there wasn't much in his life or in his appearance to attract us to him. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. But he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. And we considered him stricken by God and smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. Jesus was an ultimate willing unknown, born in anonymity in a stable in a manger that we'll be remembering in these coming weeks, born into a world that didn't recognize him, that didn't see him, that didn't know why he was here, killed and, and murdered and crucified as a criminal. He was a willing unknown. There wasn't much to attract us to him, but he did the greatest work that's ever been done on earth as he came to offer salvation to people like you and me. And if we accept and put our faith in Jesus Christ, this first and ultimate willing unknown, our names will be written in the Lamb's book of life. We will be given eternal life. We will be ushered into his presence. And I would want you and your name to be in that book and to be in it for eternity and perpetuity. And you may feel unseen this morning. And you may feel unknown And you may feel unappreciated, but God sees and God knows. And I'm asking you, if you put your faith in him, and if you will say, here am I, send me, then you can be part of this great rebuilding project as we build this city on a hill and are used greatly by God in our generation. We want to serve the purposes of God in our generation. So let's pray. First and foremost, I'd like to ask you if you have never given your life to Christ, to, if you've never put your faith in him, to know this morning that you can have the promise of eternal life. You can know what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I would love to pray for you. I would love for you to put your faith in him, to put your hand in his, to be forgiven and granted new life and eternal hope. And if that's you this morning, you say, Jeff, I would like to become a Christian. I would like to put my faith in Jesus Christ. Why don't you pray along with me where you sit, where you are, in your mind, in your heart. Pray something like this in your mind as I pray it. Lord Jesus, please forgive me for the things that I have done wrong. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I want to put my faith in you. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want my name written in the book of life. So please save me and rescue me today in the name of Jesus. And for many others of us who have made that decision to follow Christ, we're in this season now where, yeah, 
there are many of us called, I think, to be willing unknowns. There are those of us whose faces and names are known, who have prominent positions, but the vast majority of us are called just to serve God in places that perhaps are not so well seen, but are just as essential. And um, I would like to ask you again to say, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. There is a city to be built. There is a people to be reached. We need people who are willing in the day of salvation, willing volunteers in the day of salvation. And for some of us, Lord, it may mean that we are inconvenienced. It may mean that we have to shift. We have to move. We have to do something different. We have to align ourselves with what you're doing in this day and at this time. And I pray, God, that you'll touch our hearts. There were those in verse 2 of this chapter, they are willing volunteers. Nobody compelled them. There was just an inner, and there was an inner willingness, a revival that took place. And they said, we're in. <laughs> We want God to use us. We want to be part of what God is doing. I'm in, God. Just here am I, Lord. Use me. Send me. And God, I pray that you will move amongst us, Lord, across our church and across this city. And in this time, Lord, now of, of rebuilding, God, that we will have many willing volunteers who, who do the work of the ministry. We will be holy priests we would be people used for the glory of God. We pray, Lord, that as we work together and contend for this gospel, that um, whether it's serving a cup of coffee or cleaning a door or uh, sweeping a street or cleaning a toilet or uh, shaking a hand or, or looking after a, a child or whatever it is we do, using our administrative gifts, using our teaching gifts, using our hospitality gifts, Whatever it is, baking a cake. Lord, I pray that we'll do it for the glory of God, that we'll be part of this rebuilding effort, Lord. And that together we will see, we will see, Lord, the many people coming into your kingdom, many people added to this great book of, of life. We will see, God, you you're reviving and building and a, a holy city, the city of God. So shall we stand together? And I'm going to ask Annie to lead us in a, in a song of response. And, and would you just deal yourself, just deal with yourself and with God and, and say maybe those words, here am I, Lord, send me. I don't care what age you are or how long you've been on this road, but God, I've still got some, I've still got some stuff in me to give. I've still got something to add to the kingdom. I've still got, Lord, I still want to be used by you. I still want to help build this city, these walls. I still want to see people coming into the kingdom of God. I still want to see people baptized and giving their life to Christ. I still want to see the kids learning to know Jesus and, and growing up with a faith that's so solid that in the shifting sands and moving waters of, 
our culture and our times, they will be so established in the things of God because they've had stuff put in the storeroom of their life by dedicated teachers and people who've been willing to go and teach and spend time with them and, and mentor them. And I pray, Lord, that you'll use me, God. Use me for this next generation. Use me, God, to pray. Use me to serve. Use me, Lord God, to help build this city. Here am I, Lord. Send me. And Lord, whatever, whatever I have, whatever you've placed in my hands, I want to use it for the glory of God. Father, I pray that you'll move us deeply as a, as, a, as a people to be this holy priesthood as we sing and as we worship. Thank you, Lord.